SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase. Welcome back to the Sports Beat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KUB reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week on the road by CJ Moore of The Athletic and Bleacher Report. CJ, how you doing? On the road again? All right, I won't do that. Uh, I'm, I'm doing good, Jesse. Just uh, driving through this beautiful state of Kansas where it was like 70 a day going. Now it's 27, so that sucks. Yeah, I'm. You know, it's getting better for college basketball season. This is the time of year that's the most exciting. But about this time every year, I'm ready for warm weather. I am a big baby yeah. when it comes to cold. Me, me as well. Although I mean, we're probably going to be inside all the time anyway. You know, writing our little buns off. So uh, yeah, but I much prefer when I step out of the gym or step out of the house that it's that it's warm. So the 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 end of college basketball is near, and, and warm weather is coming soon we just got a, a tease yesterday i guess yeah exactly well we'll get through it but uh this is going to be a discussion about ku basketball ku hoops talk and a lot of mailbag questions uh you, you didn't tell me that that's not what i signed up for oh yeah you thought you were going to just sing on this <laughs> podcast is that what you thought yeah yeah i thought we were just going to talk about life well, nah, I didn't know it was KU basketball this week. Darn. All right. Well, yeah. Well, you're you're good at transitioning. Yep. You're you're gonna be uh, very flexible here because we are gonna talk about KU basketball. KU uh, just defeated Iowa State on Tuesday. Get huge games coming up at home against West Virginia and Oklahoma on Saturday, Monday, and that's before the hugest game, uh, which is a week from Saturday against Texas Tech. But we're gonna be a little bit forward looking and talk about some of these topics that you guys want to talk about. Uh, I asked for Twitter questions and people have a bunch of them and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start here CJ which is this is a KU basketball question but it's also a college basketball question and uh, I know you kind of get around the area you are sort of a national college basketball writer more than I am so this is kind of the landscape of college sort basketball of. Thank you. <laughs> sort of you are you are Mr. <laughs> Mr. Athletic Mr. Bleacher Report Mr. Driving from Wichita to Kansas State to try to get to every coach uh, in the story. area yeah. Yeah, yeah well <laughs> well the big story of the week I think is uh, these reports from both ESPN and Yahoo Sports about maybe the future of college basketball and the FBI investigation that's happened so let me ask let me go with two of these questions one's from Russell Jones who said do you have any concerns regarding KU and the FBI investigation self seems very unconcerned but the Yahoo article sounded very ominous for most major programs and then uh, Brett Borso also kind of came back and said asked a similar sort of question said given that there are six active coaches in the NCAA Hall of Fame Peter's article seemed to allude to at least two of the, their programs involved what do you think the ramifications would be if a blue blood program or coach is guilty? So I know you read those articles, CJ. I guess what is your first response, and how do you think uh, KU and then other schools might fit into this whole thing? Um, you know, the article's not shocking. I mean, you hear so much stuff about what goes on in college basketball. I do think it is really dangerous to speculate who might be, you know, who's involved, who might be involved. Um, you know, it's just I don't know that we can we should put ourselves in that that position where we say, oh yeah, Ku, it's definitely Ku, or it's definitely not. I mean, I don't think a lot of us. I mean, I think some of us might have ideas who could be involved, but um, I, I just think it's really really dangerous to, to speculate. But yeah, I mean, any 
college basketball program that is prominent should should probably be at least a little bit concerned because um you know the article obviously makes it sound like a lot of teams that are in ncaa tournament consideration are you know right right there in the in the mix of this and um there there's you know referred to as an underbelly often and there's definitely a big time underbelly in, in college basketball and college you know i think college football too so um I'd, I'd be concerned, but I, I do think it's it's kind of dangerous to to speculate. Would you would you agree with that, Jesse? Yeah, I think here's the question I have with it: if the FBI documents get released, and again, these all seem like Andy Miller, who's the agent, that where they went through all this stuff and all his computer records and found these documents, whatever the case may be. It sounds like those might not be made public, and they might be made public. But when it happens, I guess here's the question that I have, or if it happens, here's the question that I have. What will the NCAA do? Because let's say, just hypothetically, that it does involve, you know, again, this is not truth, but let's say it involves Coach Krzyzewski and John Calipari and Bill Self, that involves KU and Kentucky and Duke. What will the NCAA do? I mean, the NCAA is the overseer of all these schools, and it's not great business for them if every single powerhouse program and the, the people that have carried the brand for them, if all those people are ineligible or all those people have to vacate wins or all those people are found guilty and, and everything kind of comes crumbling down. So I just don't know what the fallout is. You know what I mean? Like, like again, this is all hypothetical, then, but let's, let's say, let's just go with Coach Krzyzewski. Let's say Coach Krzyzewski is found to be guilty and knew of Duke paying its players. And other schools are the same way. Arizona and Kansas and North Carolina. All these schools know this. But what do you do with Coach Krzyzewski if you're Duke? And what do you do with Duke if you're the NCAA? Like, I just don't know the answer to that. Like, if everybody is guilty, then what are the ramifications for some of these guys that are guilty if they're kind of just caught up in a system where everybody's doing the same sort of thing? So I guess that's where I don't understand or know where this thing might go moving forward. Because Pete's article, like you said, there was a quote saying, hey, if this is found out, what might happen? You know, Tennessee Chattanooga could be a two seed or it could come crumbling down for Hall of Fame coaches. I don't know. Maybe all of them would flee for the NBA. Maybe all of them would take different jobs, retire or all those sorts of things. But I just don't know the answer that if this document does become public, what you do if the whole thing is a widespread thing and this is something that affects basically every major school and every major program and every major coach, I don't know how guilty you can really make one particular person. I guess that's the question I would have for you, CJ. What, what do you think happens if, if everybody is found guilty? I mean, college basketball would take a hit, but, but do you fire every coach? I mean, is that what happens? Yeah, I don't know. I think it, it depends like how dirty, like what level of dirtiness it is you know I, I think um that it's it's, it's such a hard question to answer yeah because i mean can you fire everybody like, yeah exactly can we just, can we just start over i mean they might have to start hiring uh d3 coaches to uh, take over these these programs so it is yeah it's, it's, it's just kind of insane to think about you know here's while there's a lot of talk here and um you know, there's there's a lot of speculation on what can happen. I I don't, I'm not a hundred percent of the belief that that all of this or as as much of it might come out as you know you hear about. I I think this could maybe take a while. Who knows? I mean, um, you know, there there's stuff in the article about like this this kind of stuff doesn't always come out. Like they 
they kind of decide what they they want to do with it. So, I don't know. I, I think to me, if they are going to release something and they like want to release a bunch of information, like throw these guys under the bus, I think it'll happen right before the tournament because it seems like the last time they did this, wasn't it right before the season? Like, I, I feel like part of this is like a publicity thing and trying to get like the most attention on it when they do release, release the information or do you think I'm off there at all? Well, I think here's the problem too, if you do that, and I'm not sure all this stuff usually happens with publicity times, even though obviously the FBI case became very public and you could tell that there was kind of a PR sort of feel to it with the way they had the canned lines they were ready for, you know, we know your playbook and getting all the TV stuff, that sort of thing. I think the problem is that even if you did that right before the tournament, I don't know how the NCAA would react. And I don't know if they could have time to sort through all those documents, to go through everything, figure out who cheated, who didn't, and and what the degree of it is. It seems kind of like the North Carolina thing to me, the academic scandal, where this thing is going to be played out. Even if the information comes out, it's going to take a while. Like, you can't just immediately rule and just just say, say, okay, this team's gone, this team's in it, Tennessee Chattanooga's a two-seed. Like, you can't just automatically do that. So even if that was the timing, even if they did want to make an example of it, I don't think that there's much that could happen other than, again, just the reputation hit, and that would be the main story of every single story coming out during March Madness, and and that would be a bad look. It would be a horrible look for college basketball and college basketball fans and and teams and programs and coaches, all that sort of thing. But, again, the fascinating part of it is it just – it's like a time bomb that's sitting in front of you that's ticking, and you're not sure if it's a live one, and you're not sure if it's ever going to go off. And you're not really sure how big it is, but it just kind of sits there in front of you. And you just keep looking at it saying, huh, I wonder if that thing is going to explode. You know what I mean? Like, you just have to keep looking at it every single day. And so that's got to be how these coaches and programs and administrators and athletic directors feel is that you figure there's this time bomb in front of you and you're not sure if it's loaded up or not. And it could go off at any time. It could never go off. But it's got to make a lot of people uneasy just to kind of know the uncertainty with this and know that there, we literally could be a few minutes away from this whole thing exploding on college basketball and having a sport that really is never the same again. And look at Louisville, who, and I mean, all the programs that were involved in it, that, you know, Louisville, Auburn, um, USC, you know, all those teams are probably going to be NCAA tournament teams, and they haven't been ruled ineligible to, to play in the tournament yeah. this year. And, you know, that information came out in um, October, right? So, um, you're right that it, it's, it's going to take a while for them to process and do their own investigations and, and look into it. So, um, and you know, what, what I hope happens, this is what, what, you know, the big result of this is, is there's legitimate changes to the rule book that is, you know, pretty archaic, I think at this point, and they take a hard look at, at how things are currently. And, you know, actually contemplate making some some real change because that's that's probably the best that can come out of this and you know if if they got if there are some some really really dirty activity that's going on like um you know that's that's not i think there's a difference between like dirty and just like yeah you're just kind of like stretching the rules um you know if they can get some of the dirty characters out of the college game then 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 that's you know that's probably a positive thing um, so I don't know, it's, 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 a it's a complicated deal, um, with the agents and stuff like that. I mean, I think that's, I think that's probably the major 
thing with this and that that, that, that goes on um, probably is more prevalent than than even um, you know schools paying players. I think is is how involved agents are from the time kids are in high school all the way when they're in college. I mean, some of the stuff that goes on with them trying to to lure clients is just it's just kind of wild. And I think that's probably the, the stuff that I anticipate will, will really come out here, you know, in these, these next couple months, if they, if they make the stuff about Amy Miller public, I mean, there's, there, I'm sure there's some wild stuff there. Yeah. Well, and the, the, the bottom line with this whole thing is that college basketball has a market that's not working. You know, these players are worth more money than colleges can give them. And so how you make up for that is these players get extra benefits that, are not quote legal from the rule book. And so, you know, the more I think about it, nobody wants to go to this, but I mean, why not give kids what they're worth? I mean, if I think about this from a professional athlete standpoint or professional sports league, what happens here? Well, you have a rich, rich guy that owns a team, a rich, rich woman who owns the team and they give money to pay these professional athletes and they decide the, who, who gets paid and, and how much they get paid and all that stuff. And then the, they, the athletes get paid from there. And so nobody wants this to go to college. Nobody wants to feel like this is not an amateur thing or that these guys are, are getting paid for their services. But, you know, why couldn't college basketball do that? Why couldn't they decide, hey, we're going to pay X number of dollars. And if Oregon wants to pay you Y number of dollars, then here's the best offer. And again, that sounds worse. There's like tiers to it or something like that. Yeah, and, like, and, and, he's, he's a tier one player. He's a tier two player type thing. Yeah, well, and it sounds worse, but okay. Yeah. I mean, then you put your money where your mouth is if you're a KU booster. You know what I mean? Like, okay, uh, there's a top five prospect that KU really needs. Bill Self goes to David Booth and says, we really need this guy. So he helps craft up an offer for this player to pay him. And Phil Knight at Oregon says, hey, we really need that guy too. I want to spend my money this way. Or T. Boone Pickens says, hey, no, Oklahoma State needs this guy. And so they all bring their offers. And maybe this guy says, well, I want to play at Kansas more. I'll take the lower offer. That happens in free agency and baseball or whatever. Again, nobody wants to go to this. Everybody wants to feel like college is just this pure sport where guys are in it for the right reasons. But I'm telling you, the guys right now, I, I heard Ed O'Bannon on the radio the other day on 810. He did a great interview with Saran Petro. But, you know, we hear all about him and suing the NCAA and, and the, the video game stuff that happened and everything with him. He made no money off of that. He just wanted to get the word out that, hey, college athletes are not getting paid what they deserve to get paid. And this continues to this day. And so, uh, again, this could maybe be a step toward that direction where these guys can get paid what they're worth to these universities, which is many, many, many more dollars than they get. Because if you look at ticket prices, if you look at what the value is to, to the university, it's more than what they're getting. So I don't have the perfect answer. There is no perfect answer or there would be a way to go to it. But right now it just seems like that model would at least make all of us be honest with ourselves and say, hey, you know, whoever the, the case may be, whatever prospect that is, they're worth X number of dollars to the university. And then it's for free market. You know, if you're David Booth, if you're Phil Knight, whoever the case may be, you can go help your program and help bid on those players. And that way they're getting compensated. And the schools uh, that are offering the most of these, these athletes are getting those guys in. And, and those athletes are benefiting as well. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the subject that we're not talking about that, that really needs to be cleared up is I think they need to find a way to pay the riders too. Yeah, no, absolutely. That could be part of it as well. Share, share some of that money with the writers. You know? <laughs> we publicize this sport. Come on. Oh, man. Yeah, we're just going to turn into beggars here. That's awesome. Like, you know, hey, uh, 
uh, hey, hey, DeAndre Ayton, you remember that story I wrote on you? That that was part of the reason yeah. that publicity can let you, can you slip me a twenty, man? Like I feel like the uh... yeah, you, you wouldn't have got drafted number one if it wasn't for my pros. <laughs> Oh, CJ, we come up with so many good ideas in this podcast. We got to just keep this going. I know. Yeah, we should just be the G, the, uh, the commissioners of college basketball, and everything would be better. Okay, you know? well, well, here, commissioner, here is the next problem for you to solve. From William Hanna, <laughs> he says people seem to like the quadrant system for helping seed teams in NCAA bracket, but don't like using RPI to figure out who is in which quadrant. What metrics should be used instead? It, it should be used instead. So. Your thoughts on the current way that Indian display seeds and the quadrant system that's happening right now? I would use some of the best metrics we have in college basketball um, and take combine those together and have those spit out a number. So, you know, we're talking Ken Palm, KPI, Sagarin, pro, you know, maybe some kind of model that isn't stri- ex- exclusively pr- predictive, although – you know, I hear that thrown around a lot that, oh, like Kincom is a, is a predictive model. Well, it's a sort of, but it's also based on results. So, you know, I don't think that's it's, it's exclusively predictive. And um, just use models that are more, that are just better than the RPI. I mean, it's pretty universally believed that these other models are better than the RPI. So let's get rid of the RPI and use these other models. Yeah, this is a, a, a an argument I have every week on Twitter after my AP ballot comes out, and everyone says, well, Ken Palm's a predictive model. You can't use it. It's not based on results. No, 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 no. Ken Palm is based on more results than everyone else. It's based on more data. It's based on possession-by-possession possession data. Now, the concern you can have with it is this. Like, do you want teams running up the score to help out their efficiency numbers? You know, that's that's the philosophical question that you really have to answer for yourself. But, in general, the Ken Palms, the Sagarins, the, the Torvik, Bart Torvik rankings, the BPIs of the world, those are the best metrics we have available. Those sync up with the Vegas lines. And so, yes, I, I'm with you, CJ. Even if it does combine, you know, backward-looking ones like resume, resume uh, measures, kind of like you talked about with KPI and RPI and some of those that kind of look at your resume rather than um, your predictive measure. And you even take that with Ken Pomeroy and Sagarin and all that stuff. If you combine it to composite, at least you're going to get out the weaknesses of the horrible metrics that are out there. And the problem right now is for RPI, the system can be gamed. It can be gamed. Like you can look before a season starts, and KU does this every single year. Credit to KU, credit to Larry Keating. In their schedule, they look at this before the season and say, who are the best teams in the worst conferences? We want to play those teams because 50% of the RPI is the sched- is the record, the win-loss record of the teams that you play. And so, okay, you can look and say, oh, look, Toledo's going to be a great team or a good team in a bad conference. We'll play them at home. We'll beat them by 40 at home and have no problems, and that'll turn into a quadrant two victory. And so if you look at KU's quadrant one and two numbers, they're way better than anybody else's because they avoid those quadrant four games that all these other teams are playing. So basically, all I'm saying is, if you're looking at an advanced measure, you shouldn't be able to look before the season and say, okay, these are the teams you need to play so that we can game our RPI and make it better. At least Ken Pomeroy, with, with those sort of metrics, you, can, you can't look at it before the season. Like a team like Arizona State can pop up, 
can come through and say, hey, they're a better team than you thought. They can jump up those rankings, and Arizona State can be a team that turns into a better victory than you think and is not one you can predict before the season. So uh, I think that's my spiel on it is that, yes, these pre- we can call them predictive measures, and people can fear that if they want to, but they're basically the best measure that we know to rank these teams, and so they should be used as some sort of composite. Bottom line is they probably shouldn't use a quadrant system to begin with because if you just want to know the best teams, just use Ken Pomeroy, just use Jeff Sagrin. Those take all data points into account, and they don't just look at quality wins. There's more to having a good season than having quality wins. And you know what, what they could do is they could go to somebody like Ken Pomeroy and they could say, okay, we, we realize your model is you know, a good model. It's, it's pretty successful, but, but we are worried about um, you know, it taking into account the, um, you know, we don't want teams running up the score, yada, yada, yada. Like, we don't want that to be motivation. Okay. Then ask him to build some kind of model where that data point is not weighed as much. Like, the margin of victory isn't just other things that maybe they want to weigh are weighed heavier. And you know what? He probably or whoever some money and you know we, we come up with some kind of new system but let's 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 at least realize there are are better ways to do this and there are really really smart people willing and able to help them do it and, and to their credit i do think they are at least coming around to um you know try, they're bringing people like ken and and jeff Sagan into to indianapolis and you know picking their brains and, and and trying to come up with something better they're just really really hesitant about like they they're, they're, they're just kind of putting their toe in the water. They're, they're not jumping all the way in. Yeah, that's exactly where the point at you're at right now. With I think they're trying to move away from RPI. They're trying to do things smarter. The quadrant system itself is better than it was a year ago where they're weighing more that road victories are tougher to get than home ones. And so that's better. But, again, when you use the base as the RPI and even the quadrant system itself, like rewarding quality wins, it, it sounds great in theory, but it also has a lot of blind spots. I mean, KU loses to a team at home lose it at home to a team like Oklahoma State, and they don't get punished as much because, oh, well, that's not in quadrant one and quadrant two. That's not what we're looking at, that sort of thing. And so it's, so I agree with your original point, CJ. The best measures out there are ones we should use, whether that's a composite or use you know some sort of other formula that gets us closer to that. But as it's worked right now, it's it's not doing the, the best job of getting the best teams uh, seated correctly. And so the NCAA is working on that, but I don't think has gone far enough yet. We might see some improvement in that over the next few years. Let's get to one from TD Derry here. He says, if KU should end up losing the streak by one game, which loss will be the most frustrating to look back on? Thoughts on that one? Oh, man. Um, Probably Oklahoma State at home might be at the top of the list. Um, at Baylor, I thought there was a total no-show as well. Yeah, I think most people probably say Oklahoma at Oklahoma, but who, who, I they played really, really well that game. Who told you to worry Go about ahead. the at Baylor game? Who told you to worry about that one? I I um. I don't recall. Yeah, I, don't I, recall. I bet you, I bet you don't. You have a selective memory there, CJ. Yeah, no, I, I think I think home at Oklahoma State is the right answer. I know KU really didn't wasn't competitive in that game, and Oklahoma State won that game pretty handily at Allen Fieldhouse. But that's the one game you look back on. You say KU's a thirteen point favorite. They had some momentum after the K State win on the road. Uh, that's a game you got to win, whether it's 
I, I know the Jayhawks weren't really close, but that's that's the one you look back on. You say that's the game that KU has won every single other year during the streak, and that's the one you probably feel worst about because most teams are going to be able to beat Oklahoma State at home. All right, let's go to this one. It's uh, if you had a list. This is from Kendall K K A U T on Twitter. He says, if you had to make a list of eight teams that can win the title, would you include KU like SI did? CJ. Man, um, they'd be on the, uh, the. They'd be close, but well, let's 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 talk through this together. Here, uh, Virginia, okay. Virginia, Villanova, Purdue. I'm assuming all three on the list. Yeah, but man, how do you lose to Wisconsin? That's worse than <laughs> Oklahoma State. Like Wisconsin is basically Ethan Hat and. Um, some guys you can pull together at the rec center. <laughs> well, good to know. I, I'll, I'll still take Purdue's season-long numbers and believe that this might be a little bit of a funk they can get out of. So those three. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Let, me, let me list you three more teams. You tell me if they're on the list for you. Cincinnati, Duke, Michigan State. Yeah. Yeah, probably so. Um, I think we'll know a lot more about Cincinnati these, these next couple of weeks. Like, you know, obviously they lost last night to Houston. Houston's not that team. Um but they're definitely, you know, they've been beaten up on the American, which is a decent league. But, um, yeah, I'd be okay with them including all those teams. Okay, now let me list off a few more here, and you basically get to pick two more out of these seven or eight here to go on your eight list. Texas Tech, Gonzaga. Put, it, put, it, put Arizona. You know, my last two, I'm probably my last two. I might throw Cincinnati out of there. Arizona and Gonzaga in there for me. Um, and then go go ahead and throw out some of the other teams you're going to say. Auburn, North Carolina, Xavier, Tennessee, Kansas. Uh, Xavier's in there somehow. I don't even know that I put Texas Tech in. So, yeah, Kansas probably isn't on my list. Okay. I think that's fair. I mean, I, th- I think it's fair. I don't think it's surprising that SI put them on there, and I don't think that this is a team – that couldn't make an SLA tournament run, which is something we've talked about in previous weeks, just because we've seen when this team is clicking offensively and has the firepower from the outside to, to, to do this, that they can beat any opponent on any night. And sometimes that can happen in the tournament. You just get a team that's unbeatable on a certain night and has the ceiling that can beat any team out there, Virginia, Villanova, Purdue, any, any of those teams. So I could yeah. see this team making a run. I could see it being a top eight team, but at the moment it probably would be a tougher case to make just because KU has been inconsistent as of late and hasn't always shown that offensive firepower. I think it's gotten better in the last, uh, well, actually the last game that KU played against Iowa State. You saw Bill Self kind of try to tinker with his lineup. He put Mitch Lifewood in there and started. I think KU's offense took a, a pretty significant step back when he was getting more minutes, and it seems like Bill Self kind of went back to what brought him here. You know, went back to the girl that he came with, which was going back to that lineup of those five guys, getting those guys in together, trying to get them to play well together, and then trying to get that offense back to the level it was earlier on because, as I say pretty often, KU has been able to outscore its problems for most of this season. That's a positive quality, not a negative quality. And so if KU can get that, you know, Devontae Graham, Gerald Vick, uh, Malik Newman, Sui Luke, Yudoka Azubuki, five, working together well, along with, you know, some minutes from Marcus Garrett and Mitch Lightfoot, then that's probably the, uh, the best combination that this team can have. One more point I want to make there, Jesse, that, you know, usually this question, and this is something my, my friends and I will do every once in a while. Um, well, I think I've even, even done it 
tweeted this out before, but, you know, usually I feel like five, whether it's like five teams, eight teams, a lot of times I think I do it with five. I always feel like there's five teams I can pick out this time of year who I think have a chance to win the title. And I'm usually pretty confident I can nail, you know, the the eventual national champion if you if you give me five tries and this year i would not want to place that bet even with eight and it's it's one of those years where like i'll tell you the the only times i feel like i get it wrong is when connecticut wins the title because <laughs> usually they have no business winning the, the national championship this is one of those years where like yep connecticut's probably just going to win it luckily connecticut won't be in the show so it's not going to be <laughs> connecticut but it's it's one of those years where, man, you, it's it could be enough. It could be twenty different teams that that you know have a legitimate shot this chance this year. And yeah, KU's probably in that mix. But I think it's one of those years where nobody's. I don't think there's anybody in college basketball that that I would put in a, an elite tier. There's some really good teams, but I don't know that I'd put anybody in the elite tier. So uh, I think it's pretty wide open. Yeah, it's almost like a one and done tournament. Doesn't always have the the yeah. best team at the end of yeah, it, right? <laughs> that's true but, but you you do, you do usually feel like if you get you know if you give a number of shots you can probably get it right because there's there's you know only so many teams that can win at six games in a row you know and and yeah the best team doesn't always win it but it's usually a pretty darn good one and this year man who, who knows it's, it's going to be a wild wild march to speak, April, so. to, to speak to your point cj something we usually talk about at the when you're looking at teams that profile as this, is we always talk about the adjusted efficiency and offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, and how usually, typically, the teams that are in the Final Four and win the national championship are top 25 in both, uh, according to Ken Pomeroy's measures. So, I'm going to ask you, how many teams right now, if you had to guess, are in the top 25 in both offense and defense at this moment? Usually, it's the top 20. Usually, top 20. Okay, we can go top 20. Guess, yeah. how, guess how many teams yeah. are in the top 20 in both of those uh, measures? Um, I would say, let's see, I can probably go through who it is. Gonzaga probably is. Gonzaga's thir- um, 13th and 15th. Purdue. Purdue is 6th and 10th. And Michigan State. Michigan State's 8th and 5th. Um, not Virginia, not Villanova. Um, I don't think Cincinnati's offensive efficiency is high enough. That might be it. That's it. You got them. You got all three. That's impressive. It's like you've been memorizing Ken Pomeroy. We need to turn this title over to you. <laughs> no, I just, I mean, I probably looked at it at some point, but there's, there's not a lot of teams that have elite offensive and elite defenses this year. I mean, usually that list is more – because I do this every year. For Bleacher Report, I write a blueprint of a champion, and I came, kind of, you know, years ago came out with a formula for, okay, there's like 10 different categories. Most title teams have at least like 70 of these characteristics, and the one that's the most important usually is top 20 offensive efficiency and top 20 defensive efficiency. And usually I'd say there's probably like seven teams in that group, and I'd have to go back and look. But, yeah, three is, is a pretty low number. Yeah, well, and that just kind of speaks to all the points that you were making earlier and will make for a fascinating tournament when it comes up here in less than a month. 
Let's go with Johnny Orlansky. Uh, he says, should Self stop pulling Udoka when he gets two fouls in the first half? When Kansas has lost this year, it's been by a lot, usually unable to get themselves out of big holes, especially with his free throw concerns. Is it worth risking not having him at the end to stay in games early? Thoughts on that, CJ? So they should. he's asking, should they stop, stop pulling him after two fouls? Stop pulling him after two fouls in the first half because... For one, when KU has lost a lot of these games, they've gotten way behind in the first half, and Yudoka's presence haven't, yeah. hasn't helped them. And then in the case of like the Iowa State game, he was not in for the final couple minutes of the game because Bill Self was worried about Hackadoke. So there's a potential that even if you're up late in the game, you're not going to be using Yudoka as a bookie late in the game because he's going to get taken up because uh, he can't shoot free throws as well as other guys. Yeah, I'm, I'm usually of the belief that pulling guys for two fouls in the first half is it's silly strategy because I think every minute of a basketball game matters just as much. The points count just the same, no matter when you're playing. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, strong. I play guys with two fouls opinion. Udoka, I can kind of understand because of how foul prone he is. And it can maybe, I feel like when he gets two fouls, it like mentally affects him. So he's not as effective a player. Um, you know, he might not be, if you keep him in with two, he might not be as effective as he usually is. But I do think they need to find a way to play him as many minutes as possible because the I talked about this with Sam Bassini the other day on the Fieldhouse podcast that they're a drastically different team without him. And the, Sam threw out the numbers, and they were pretty drastic. I mean, um, they have to find a way to, to keep him on the floor and to have him play as many minutes as possible. So, yeah. Depending on the game and the scenario, I would definitely consider playing him with two fouls. But, you know, you hope he just – you you preach to him, hey, <laughs> don't pick up these dumb ones. Because a lot of times I feel like, you know, he, he he's probably going to get two or three fouls a game that just are warranted. You know, they're not bad fouls. But I feel like he picks up one or two a game that are, that are just not very smart fouls and they they need to the, the real the big thing is they need to find a way to eliminate those and that's probably the fear in playing him with, with too it's it's more complicated with a guy you, like Udoka who's more foul prone than let's say if a uh, Devontae Graham or a C. McKay Luke gets two fouls um you know if one of those guys gets two fouls then yeah you, you probably play them this this question's a little more complicated just because of how foul prone Udoka is yeah it's a complicated question but I will say this in Bill Self's defense and to his credit Yudoka Azubuki picked up his third foul in the first possession of the second half against Iowa State, and Bill Self looked to his bench, and he decided to leave Yudoka in, and that was one of those stretches where KU went on a big run. And so I think he is becoming more liberal in that regard, where he will leave guys out with foul trouble, and he did that with Yudoka Azubuki. So I don't know about uh, the first half. Usually Bill Self, like you're saying, he's a little bit more of a guy that will leave a guy like Devontae Graham in with two fouls because he trusts him. It's a guard. He hasn't fouled that often yeah. anyway. So I can definitely see the argument to say, okay, still auto bench Yudoka with two fouls because, for one, he's not going to play as well because it's in his head, and for two, he is foul prone, so getting three in the first half could really put you in a hole. But I do think that Bill Self is looking at this from all angles, and, and the fact that he left Yudoka in with three fouls early in the second half was a big key for the Jayhawks to uh, keep that lead, extend that lead, and get the win against Against Iowa State, so I think he's at least considering all options available. But an auto bench with two fouls with Udoka still sort of seems like maybe an okay thing to do, or at least not something I would completely criticize him for, just because of the type of player that Udoka is. Jesse, what was the last like major, major important game 
where a guy picked up two and um, Self ended up playing him again in the first half? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I'm, this is not the one you're thinking of, but Devontae Graham got two a couple games ago at home, and he just looked at him. It was just funny. He looked at him and just said, you got two fouls. Well, Devontae and, Graham never comes out. Of yeah, as I say, like he's played 40 <laughs> minutes, like 26 straight games now. So uh, what, which, which example are you thinking of? Oh, what was, what was going to be your guess? What, what do you think I'm thinking of? Oh, I don't, I don't know which one you're thinking of. You, you, you don't know? Uh, I, th- I thought you had it in mind, by the way, you answered that question. The Elite Eight game last year against Oregon. Oh, yeah. Josh Jackson picked up two pretty quick. And um, I I remember tweeting in that game, I, I think Self will eventually bring him back in in this first half. I think he should, and I think he will. And he, he did eventually bring him back in. So, um, yeah, that was that, that, that shows you, you know, in a major game. Like, he's, he's willing definitely to, to bring play a guy with two. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do think it kind of depends on the guy. And, and I can understand – the, the benching of Udoka because I do think it affects him mentally. So. Last one here from Moops. He says, is Devontae Graham the best three-point shooter in KU history, or is it someone else? Parentheses, I think you know who the answer should be. Go ahead, CJ. <laughs> this is Moops? Is that what he said? This is Moops. So his answer is Jeff Boshi. He's a Jeff Boshi lover, right? Uh, well, I think, he, I think there's another person in this conversation that is pretty near and dear to your heart too so um that might be who he's Bezos? going for too yeah i mean don't you think he has an argument uh, no there's not enough of a uh i mean this, this year he's been pretty awesome and last year was pretty good but um i i don't i don't think it's fee. i i'd say you know the top ones are probably boshi Billy Thomas was pretty awesome. Um, let's see, who am I missing that would be that would be up there? But yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go with uh, I'll go with I'll go with Boshi. Boshi with a shorter three point line was one hundred ten out of two hundred thirty seven his senior year for forty six percent. Let me go to. That was Boshi. Let me go to Svee, just just to be devil's advocate here and just to read you how close this is. Of course, Svee is on a, kind of a major shooting slump lately. What has he made? He's made uh, two of his last 13 threes in the last three games, so he's kind of in a major slump. Right now, Svee is in... And they need, to get him, they need to get him out of that. Like, that's a major part of... That's super important. I mean, we talked about how different a team they are when he shoots the ball well and when he doesn't shoot the ball well, so... That, that's that's one of the most important th- things for this team right now is getting Svi's confidence back. Svi is go, go on. Svi is eighty three out of one eighty seven this year for forty four percent. He's going to have more than the uh, than the two hundred thirty seven that Jeff Boshi shot. That's for sure. So I think this is a little bit closer than you think it is. I'm, I'm giving more credit to your Svi's than you're giving to him. That's kind of a rarity. Yeah, but like Svi has these these stretches where he loses confidence and you know, doesn't shoot the ball well. I don't think Jeff Boshi ever lost confidence. <laughs> and quick, super quick release. Um, yeah, Jeff, Jeff Boshi might be, he might be the answer to, to best three-point shooter ever from, from K. I'm trying to remember he had for best in the self era in the book. Do you recall? Uh, did I write that one or did you write that one? I, I can't even, I mean, I... I no idea. Your brain's fried. <laughs> My brain is fried. 
Um, I'm just rolling through the middle of Kansas, hoping that the uh, the signal doesn't go out on us. <laughs> just, 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 I, I want to point out something on my drive that uh, is pretty amazing, Jesse. I went through Lincolnville, I believe, and I saw a gas station that had one gas pump, and there was no gas station. It was just like one lone gas pump, and that was it. Wow. So that, 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 that was pretty, uh, you know, that was something that you don't see every day. But, uh, yeah, shouts, shouts to Lincolnville. If, uh, I wonder if we have any listeners in Lincolnville. If you're listening from Lincolnville, please tweet at us. We want to hear from you. Yeah, we, we <laughs> must be pretty amazing. We must know about this <laughs> gas pump, too, and if it is a real thing yeah. and if you can really get gas from the place that you can't get a uh, – I almost stood there because it was two twenty nine, I believe, which is uh, I feel like a pretty good price right now. I'm not I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't been paying attention to what and, and my fuel level. The, the the light just went off low. So hopefully I make it to the next gas station because I don't know if there will be one soon. But all right, is, is that all our questions? Jeff? That's all our questions. That's it, CJ. That's it. So uh, anything we can expect from you coming up on the Athletic or Bleach Report here in the next couple weeks? Yes. I have an Alizé Johnson piece on The Athletic today. Um, I will be writing something on Wichita State here pretty soon. I will be writing something on Trey Young at Bleacher Report pretty soon. Um, let's see what else. I think I'm going to be doing a Kansas story here pretty soon for The Athletic. And uh, Marcus Foster, former K-State player, be doing something on him pretty soon. And, uh, you know, I'm obviously on my way to Manhattan. I'll have something on the uh, K-State Wildcats. So I don't know when I'm going to find time to write all this, but, uh, yeah, it's it's, going to be coming out here shortly, all of those stories. All right, well, good luck with that. And we'll go and sign off while the reception is still good and before we get cut off again, CJ. (laughs) But I appreciate you joining me. Uh, For CJ, this is Jesse. We're going to sign off for the Sportsbeat KC podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in for another episode next week. SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase.